Hey folks, it's Jared. My guest today is Stola Uriksson, and we're going to discuss a 2019 concept paper that he wrote on improving the cooperation between the Norwegian military and the U.S. Marines, specifically focused on creating a more survivable logistics operation using Norwegian civilian maritime infrastructure. This episode was edited and produced by Jim Jarvie and Nathan Miller. I'd like to pause here to highlight our local chapters, whether you're in South Korea, Egypt, Singapore, France, New York, India, or the Caribbean. Chances are there's a Simsec local chapter near you. You can find a full listing of our chapters and contact information on our website at simsec.org. So if you're interested, please reach out. Finally, I want to take the opportunity to recommend our partners in Simsec Podcast Network, the Bilge Pumps. You can find Alex, Jamie, Drack, and a pile of iron brew bottles wherever you download your podcasts. And with that, Kimber's Men. You're listening to Sea Control, hosted by the Center for International Maritime Security. Hello, hi, shamates, and welcome back aboard Sea Control. My guest today is Dr. Stola Uriksson, and we'll be discussing his 2019 contribution to the concept paper series on reimagining U.S. Marine Corps and Marine Corps cooperation in the high north. So, Stola, welcome. Would you mind introducing yourself to our viewers? Well, yeah, I'm, I work at the Norwegian uh, Naval College. We also do projects for the, for the Norwegian Navy, but also for the Ministry of Defense. Uh, so I lead a, a team of researchers of about, about uh, nine people. I have been uh, previously uh, working at the Norwegian Inter- Institute for International Affairs in Oslo, uh, done some uh, work for the government and so on. But now we're pretty much uh, focused on Russia, of course. The main object of, of our uh, research project is, is to support the Navy, Royal Norwegian Navy in, in its choice for replacement of frigates, corvettes, and so on. To what kind of, uh, of surface structure are we going to have in the future? So that choice is going to be made this year or next year. So that's the main focus. And difficult times to do that now. Absolutely. Uh, thank you again for joining us. As a reminder to the listeners, all opinions are our own and not reflective of any institutions with which we may be otherwise associated. So we're going to start out talking about uh, Marine Corps Prepositioning Forces North, or McPPN. Um, where does that come from? What's in the 2006 agreement governing McPPN between the U.S. and Norway? Well, the whole thing started up in, in, the, in the late 1970s when it was realized that the uh, that it will be very difficult to get reinforcements to Norway in times of war if the Soviet Union already had established a forward a forward defense for their, their bases on Murmansk, the so-called bastion defense. Then it would be very difficult to to, uh, uh, to get reinforcements o- across the sea because of all the submarines and that. At the time, the U.S. Marines were rebuilding after Vietnam, and kind of looking for a role, I think, so in in the high north they found one. So Norway and the U.S. Marines developed a plan for the prepositioning of of equipment. So in in mid Norway, Kundelag, uh, there are several huge caves within the mountains where where the Marines stock some a lot of their material. And then can you comment on what's in the 2006 agreement specifically? Yeah, the 2006 is a kind of renewal of of the the, the established program. One of the things that it says is that if the Marines are deploying from, after meeting up with their equipment in Trondelag, if they're deploying within Norway, then Norway is responsible for, for the, uh, both the transport, really, and, and also the securing of, of that deployment. 
But that, that, that has never been exercised. And, and, and uh, that was kind of one of the ideas behind the, the paper that we wrote in, in 2019. How, how would we do that if we had to? And what has been the deployment method for USMC units marrying up with their equipment to date? And normally the, the, the troops have been flown in by air to, to Valnes Airport, to Erlon Airport. And then they are, they are, are, are uh, marrying up with their equipment and again being brought to sea with one of the very large ships. You see, not all, all, all this equipment is, is stored in Norway permanently. Some of them are, are stored on, on, on maritime pre-positioning ships. Uh, so then they will deploy with very large ships, 250 meters long ships, northwards and go into the fjords. thing with Norway is that... Uh, you can sail two ways from from the south uh, to to the north, and, and and one is to the inner leads. That would be the safe route in a sense, especially when we're discussing submarine threats and so on, and threats from 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 air, aircraft. Uh, but it's difficult to sail the inner leads with the very large ships, and especially if you if you are over two hundred meter long, then then it would be very difficult and very risky as well. Uh, so to mediate the threat. And from sailing on the open sea, then we suggested that okay, we should perhaps use another another way to deploy northwards. Uh, and that was how we started up with how how would we do that if we are going to do it in in, a, in an efficient way? Because neither neither Norway nor the nor the U.S. Marines have access to a lot of organic uh, smaller ships that could do that. Uh, but as, as you, you may know, Norway is, is um, huge maritime industries and a very large merchant fleet and also a, a, a very large offshore fleet that supports all the, um, all the work, uh, production, the, the, the construction of new, new, new platforms, uh, other sites, pipelines, all that uh, from the North Sea and northwards. So... The offshore fleet consisted in, in, in 2019 of about between five and 600 ships. So that has been reduced a bit since then. Uh, but between four and 500, I, I would guess. Each one is about 90 meter long. And each of them have lots of, of tanks aboard so they can take several different fuels. They can carry a lot on deck. And one of, or these anchor handling ships uh, may take up to 4,000 tons, metric tons on, on the decks. It would be no problem to, 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 to load and carry very heavy material. And since it's so many of them, we could use quite a large number of ships to, 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 to transport a single brigade, brigade or, a, or a battalion. Uh, but there would be enough. Uh, moreover, when... As we see from from the Ukraine now that that uh, Ukrainian harbors are not safe, and when the Russians are trying to use Dalyansk as a harbor, for instance, we saw that the Ukraine Ukrainians could could easily hit them and 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 sank uh, an old alligator uh, amphibious ship in in the harbor, and that would of course be the same in the north. Uh, even if we could erode uh, the Russian targeting capability, they would still know where the harbor the, these harbor are. Are located so so it will be not not be very difficult to 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 hit them so then I, we took a new look at, at this thing how how could we make a base that that could or a logistic hub that that we could move around 
And then we looked at, at, at some of the material for the deep sea construction. Uh, and they use very large floats. They are 90 meters uh, long, 30 meters broad. You, you can link several of them together and create a, a large floating base, which then you could move every night or so with, with, uh, with, by using these anchor handling ships. Uh, and that would at least increase the level of safety a bit. Uh, for, for targeting against the, the logistical hubs. That would be, I, I think, in, in, in a, in a NATO operation in the north, that would be one of the big problems to protect those, those logis, logis, logistical hubs. Sorry. Notice that, that this was written before before the war in Ukraine and before Sweden and Finland decided to, to apply for, for NATO membership. I'm going to ask you about that in just a minute. Uh, and you kind of touched on my next question, which was... Uh, you know, why was the current deployment method such a challenge in a combat environment? I think you've covered that. What is sort of your proposal for changing the existing concept of operations then? Well, my proposal will be that we, we, we simply make a plan for how, how do we mobilize part of this, this offshore fleet. We distribute uh, several uh, offshore vessels to each, each of these the units that we want, want to want to transport, and we use the inner leads uh, to, to freight them. The 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 thing with with these uh, vessels is that we could also install bridges on them, bridges that are normally stored in a container, but could, could be uh, mounted with a, a small crane, really. And those those bridges could take up to 110 tons metric tons, so it would be no problem to 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 to. Uh, to land quite quite large vessels, and we uh, so so the thing is, is that we want to reduce the threat for 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 by by using smaller ships, and using lots of them. Uh, we also did some experimentation here. We we gathered a lot of people from the from the ship owning companies and and from the uh, the wharves, and, and we discussed how could we do this uh, rather quickly, and then. A lot of this this uh, pre uh, this this material that we would need could be stored on bases, civilian bases, where the the, the Norwegian military already has contracts. So part of these bases are, are separated and 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 are military areas. And then these these offshore ships, they are they are spread all over the coast. So so they could e- easily grab what they would need there and and uh, go to a mission quite quickly. What we would need to do. Uh, However, is, is that we would need to, to wet all the crews and uh, to make sure that that, that, that we have crew that we, crews that we can trust. One problem with, with the parts of the Norwegian fleet is that because of the, the <laughs> rather high salaries and the cost of cost of labor in Norway, they have, have recruited a lot of a lot of uh, foreign sailors, and some of them, some of these companies have almost exclusively recruited sailors from Russia, and that would of course be a problem, and that is is one of the I would say one of the main security problems we know today that in, in a crisis before a war, we would have to handle all that. And that is something that is being dis- discussed in Norway right now. But it, but most of the offshore rhetoric that, or, or offshore companies, they, they're not in that, in, that, uh, uh, in that line. So it would be easier to, 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 to uh, secure, all the, secure that all, all, the, all the crews are, are trustworthy. But that would... That would mean that you would have to sign a contract with them. You cannot use, just use, use a, a rapid mobilization and, and expect that to work. You would need to plan it. You need to have contracts signed and, and all that in advance. And you would need to exercise. 
Um, you wrote this paper back in 2019. Have there been any changes since the outbreak of the Ukraine war as far as uh, the government being re-energized to engage with industry uh, to sign some of these agreements or to actually exercise some of these capabilities to be sure that they work? Uh, the Navy has exercised a bit of it, but not for this purpose. And the Army, the Norwegian Army has also exercised um, a bit on, on, on similar concept, but not on a very large scale. And there are ongoing negotiations, I think, between the U.S. and Norway on, on this, because it's when we launched this, it was grabbed uh, quickly by both sides and it started negotiations. But then we have change of governments uh, in, bo- in both Norway and the U.S. and there have been delays. But, uh, but uh, I, I believe that it's, it's still on the table. What advantages and disadvantages do NATO forces deal with where Norwegian geography is concerned? Well, the disadvantages is, of course, that the, the climate might be quite unforgiving. Uh, so in, in, in large parts of the year, you would have very cold climate. You would have almost no daylight, uh, storms, very heavy seas, uh, and so on. So, so that would be difficult. And in the summer, it's the opposite problem. <laughs> it's just light all the time. So it's... Uh, it, it's it's uh, more difficult to hide, of course. Uh, but then you have the, the the lack of roads. There's only one one uh, main road uh, connecting uh, southern Norway to northern Norway. Only one, and of course that would be easy to 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 create delays there by by doing sabotage and all that. So so uh, that would be. Uh, and why is the trust that these roads will be open or you could keep them open all the time? So you need to, you, to use the sea. Uh, advantages of uh, the Norwegian coastline, in a sense, is that you have a littoral that is, uh, if you know how to operate it, and you, it is easy to hide there. So that's the way we use our corvettes, for instance. If you, if you can hide uh, in the littorals, then no or very few uh, anti-ship missiles will be able to hit you because most of them would not be able to separate the, the, the ship from the from the the islets or or the rock. Uh, and we know that the Russians also are uh, trying to to get their sailors to to ed- obtain no uh, knowledge of these coastlines so they can operate uh, as well. And we see that. Or we suspect that the Russian Navy in the north soon will get the same kind of corvettes that they have in, in the Black Sea, in, in the Baltic Sea, and, and also in the Pacific. Um, they have been tested and testing them out. So, if you can use this this uh, this uh, terrain both over and uh, underwater on the Norwegian coastline, it could function as a um, multiplicator of capabilities simply. Uh, but of course, it's difficult if you don't know how to how, how to use it. Then, then we we uh, it's difficult to navigate, and then you 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 will get accidents, as we had when when we lost one of our frigates uh, some years ago, and, and it has been quite normal for the Norwegian Navy to crash on <laughs> in the littorals with with the, the, the small, fast attack craft and so on all the time. But you need to exercise the you know to to get that expertise then. If you if you know how to 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 use it, then there's a lot of protection in the in, by sailing in the leads. And of course, the the main problem there would be mining, and 
we have mine hunters and, and so on, but there's only a, a 40% or so of the coastline that could be a way we could use ROVs for mine hunting. Uh, the rest there, the, you will need to sweep it because of the rocks and the terrain, the underwater terrain and so on. So that will be the main threat in inner leads. Uh, outside in the open sea, you know, the, the, the Russian Navy is struggling to maintain the, the, the number of, of uh, nuclear-powered submarines, but what we expect the next and this decade really is that they will renew their whole fleet of uh, of uh, of diesel electric submarines uh, the same kind that we see in, in the in the uh, in the black sea right now launching launching missiles against uh, the ukraine but also the lava class that is they have been experimenting for a while and they have all ordered at least five or six of them now so we would also expect that the, the Norwegian Sea to be quite full of of conventional diesel electric submarines in such an occasion, and we, we would expect them to deploy the nuclear propelled submarines for further out. What changes would you make to your proposal based on what you've observed in Ukraine? The most the most obvious one is that the, the my, my fear of the missiles should be reinforced. I mean, they 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 would learn how to use more missiles early in a, in a conflict they would they would probably attack all all, all the air bases in 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 northern europe in in a war with nato that means that we would struggle to to obtain uh dominance of the air it's not only the norwegian the bases in norway but also the bases in 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 the uk they are there's not a single surface to air missile battery in the in the whole of the uk so none of the of the bases there are protected, and that includes Fairbanks, where the U.S. used the bombers from. It includes Mildenhall, where where all, all the U.S. tankers are, are are stationed, and so forth and so on. So, so in, in an early phase, uh, we might expect perhaps to lose uh, lose uh, air control for a while, and the Russians would then be able to operate forward if they wanted to for a, a brief period. The only thing that could mitigate that, I think, is the deployment of uh, bombers directly from, from the continental U.S. And we have, I mean, the U.S. Air Force have been exercising that a lot since. Also, uh, the Russians are, are, are uh, doing very old-fashioned war. <laughs> Lots of artillery. Uh, what I would like to know is how, how they think about the, the the fail missions on the, the initial uh, attack on on the Hostomol air airports where they used their their airborne troops the VDV and and they got they got uh, massacred more or less um, would they still try to use that kind of concept in for for instance in Norway if they could gain air dominance would they use the VDV to deploy forward that is one of the the, the things that we have. Uh, planned for, or not planned for, but at least the, 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 one of the things we discuss when we uh, we are trying to uh, work out how their course of action would, would look. Uh, similarly, with the with the Marines, the Russian Marines, the, they have not used them in landings yet, and they have not really tried, or it's not really been doctrine to 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 the, the to land on a defended beach uh, yet. In Kerch, uh, close to the Ukraine, in 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 in, in Crimea, there, there's there's a shipyard and there's two rather large amphibious carriers that are being built. And what we see 
when we look at the models of, uh, that the Russians present of these ships, they are, they are not filled up with anti-submarine helicopters or so on, but KA-52 attack helicopters. And when they exercise these, they, they use these helicopters or they simulated that they have the carrier, the, the helicopter carriers, and then they attack from the beaches with, with them first. And then the Rupushas would use their um, multiple rocket launchers and then they would land. So will they keep up this or, or will they think that those kinds of amphibious landings are, are too risky to carry out in the future? Uh, this is a problem because since we have this, all these islands on the Norwegian coastline, then if the Russians should wish to establish a forward defense using their, their S-400 uh, missiles there, coastal batteries with, with Onyx missiles and, and, and these things, then it would be possible for them to, to find a Norwegian island with a, with, a, with a good airport. And it will be very difficult for us to, to defend since our army is uh, rather small and the country is so big and it's so easy. You can choose many different locations on, uh, where, where to land and in, install these batteries. So if, if you do that on... Uh, the North Norwegian coast uh, on the Bear Island between Norway and Svalbard and on Svalbard as well, then you would be able to set up a kind of A to AD uh, zone where you could perhaps block US bombers and uh, at least and also surface ships. And they would, they would do a lot of mining, of course, against submarines. And an early phase up there would be critical in a sense. But things have also changed after, after Finland and Sweden applied for membership in NATO and we do a lot of wargaming, and, and it's always it gives most insight to play the Russians. If you if you're the boss in Murmansk, how, how would you defend? Uh, and what is the threat, uh, and and how do you stop it? And until now, that the threat has come from from the West, where especially American uh, hunter killers and and bombers. And could attack the the bases and, and also possibly uh, track their their boomers and, and and attack them at sea. But with with Sweden and Finland coming in, then uh, NATO suddenly becomes very big in the north, and it we don't we don't doesn't don't only threaten the the bases on Kola, but also also the um, three other places. And the first of them, of course, St. Petersburg. Uh, St. Petersburg will be very vulnerable to NATO attacks from, from Estonia and Finland, as seen, as seen from a Russian perspective. That was why Stalin, and, and, and back in the days, in 1939, declared war against Finland, because he, he feared that the, the border was too close to, to St. Petersburg. And then there's the, the link between St. Petersburg and Murmansk and the base on Kola, and that's a railway. Uh, Russian military is extremely dependent on, on the railway. Uh, we see that also in, in the Ukraine. So if he, if that could be cut, then the base on Murmansk would be isolated. And the fourth one is Severodvinsk. It's close to Arkhangelsk. It's uh, a small town, but it has some very big shipyards. And that's the only place where the Russians build their nuclear-powered submarines. And, they, and also also another wharf up there where, where they do the most important maintenance of, of the nuclear-powered submarines. And that would be, I think the Russian would feel that... that that one would also be threatened because that right now there's very few and very small military units in this, in this area. So they would need to reinforce it. So I expect a lot more tension. Uh, a lot, I 
large Russian buildup in this area. And that would also mean that uh, <laughs> for NATO, this would not be a flank anymore. It would be one of the main fronts and perhaps the most important one. And that would also mean that that we need would need to re we NATO would need to reinforce both especially Finland but also Sweden. Again, that would mean mean that the the, the it would be more important for the Russians to stop this uh, reinforcement from the sea in, in the Norwegian Sea and in the in the North Sea. So I would expect them to to increase the numbers of especially conventional submarines up there to make it that more difficult for us. And it will also, of course, mean that the, more of the harbors the, and the large ports where we would take in this reinforcement would be more threatened from, from missiles and, and sabotage. Uh, I think the Russian will likely be able to deploy a lot of irregular forces, special forces in both Norway, Sweden and Finland because of the open economies there. Uh, so we will have that kind of threat. Well, unfortunately, that's all that we have time for. I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Stola Uriksen. Uh, Stola, where can we find you online and what are you working on next? Online, I'm, um, if you Google the Norwegian, the Norwegian uh, Defense Academy, uh, the Naval College is a part of that, and, and uh, FHS pages in, 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 in Norway would, would, would uh, show a way to me. Also, I have a, a, a smaller position on, on the NUPI, the Norwegian Inter- Institute of International Affairs, NUPI.no. What I'm working mostly on now is, 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 is to try to envision how will, the, will the, the, the maritime time domain look in 2040? Who will be the strong actors who... who uh, where will the hotspots be? Uh, what kind of technology do we need? Will we need when we, we get there? And, uh, it's rather pessimistic, I think, uh, looking at China especially and, and how that will undoubtedly tip the balance even more. Uh, I, I don't see how the West can catch up with the, with the, with the present Chinese buildup if we're not very smart or take very dramatic actions. And that is also one of the things that I think is important for the U.S. is to take a look at allies like Norway and, and others and see how how can we use their strengths in, in this big struggle to come. Well, thank you again for joining us. To the listeners, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.